Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. If you have your Bible, let's just go with prepared to make our declaration on this morning. Repeat after me, if you will. If you have your smart tablets or your, or your smartphones on which you have your Bible, let's lift those as we prepare to make our declaration on this morning. Repeat after me, if you will. If I receive this word with my mind only, this word will be dead for me. But if I receive this word with the Spirit over my mind, this word will be life for me. Lord, I don't need religious form and fashion. I need life. Now look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, get ready for life in here on today. Our scripture will be coming from Hebrews chapter 12. We are going to try and get through the entire uh, chapter here on this morning. I'm not sure how the Spirit of God will move on this morning concerning that. At least that is my plan. At least I have a plan to move forward in this series. This is the next to last chapter in the series that we have been um, ministering on in this series of Hebrews. In Hebrews, very powerful book. A very awesome book to to have uh, in the Word of God because it marries in a good fusion, if you will. I mean, the perfect fusion of of Old and New Testament, of the Old and New Testament. And I am so grateful for God having granted me this privilege of of ministering this series from the book of Hebrews. Although we still have one chapter remaining after. Um, this chapter, 12, after chapter 12, there is chapter 13, which is the final chapter in the book of Hebrews, uh, or the epistle to the Hebrews, rather, this letter. So, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, you have your Bibles, your smart tablets on which your Bible is contained. Let's open, let's turn them to Hebrews chapter 12. And we will read just the first four verses. We began this, this chapter 12 a couple of weeks ago, but we're going to continue on now. And I'm going to do a recap as we move forward into the remaining, remaining um, um, short verses, of, if you will, of this 12th chapter. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded, let me back up a little bit. Let me go all the way back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. Uh, and just flow right into these first four verses of the 12th chapter. And all these things have been obtained, and, and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be 
made perfect apart from us. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. God, our Father, we thank you this morning as we enter your holy presence. We do so under the anointing of your Holy Spirit and by the power and the authority of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. We ask now, God, that you will minister your word unto us. Give us strength, give us encouragement, Lord God. Give us all that we stand in need of on this morning through your word. We bless you, we trust you, we honor you, and we submit completely and wholly to the authority of your Holy Spirit. For I am the temple of the Spirit of God, which is in me, which is given unto me by you, Father. I am not my own, for I have been bought with a price. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross is Calvary. Therefore, I glorify you, God, my Father, in my body and in my spirit, which are yours. Holy Spirit, have your way, I pray. I yield to you now. Take full authority. In Jesus' name, amen. Several months ago, athletes from around the world gathered to Rio and to compete against one another in the Olympic Games. Each individual team represented a particular nation. Americans represented themselves and our nation well. America won 121 medals, 46 gold, 37 silver, and 38 bronze. In the Greco-Roman world, athletic contests were huge, enabling athletes to compete against one another to achieve great distinction and prestige for themselves and for their nation. Although athletes won prize money, the most valued prizes were the wreaths that they placed upon their heads and the public recognition given to the winners by which their their reputations were greatly enhanced. Not unlike our top athletes today. Indeed, if we were to fast forward to our days, America to our days, American athletes who compete in the Olympic Games earn not only prestige for being among the best in the world for the moment at least in time, they also earn quite a bit of money. For example, I mentioned this on last Sunday, Michael Phelps, for example, has won five gold medals and one silver medal during the Rio Olympic Games. Uh, each gold medal is worth $25,000, and every silver medal, fifty, and every bronze medal is a thousand, $10,000. So we see here that Michael Phelps won five gold and one silver that is a total of $140,000 in earnings. Now, if you add that to the other medals that he has won over the years, 
that brings into a gross total of $650,000. And if we then take that and add it to his other armor um, endorsement, which is $5 million, we see that Michael Phelps is not hurting. And indeed, there are many athletes around the country and around the world that are doing financially, are doing exceedingly well. They're not hurting at all. In fact, the sports, sports is a multi-billion dollar industry annually. Athletes who win medals cause themselves to stand out among their peers and shine a spotlight on their respective nations. The author of Hebrews combines two themes, athletics and citizenship, in this 12th chapter. The tone of the foot race, the tone is that of the foot races in the arena. The foot races are the most difficult of, of the Olympic Games, to some degree at least. We can see the runners laying aside their training weights and striving to run their races successfully. Some get weary and faint, while others endure to the end and win a prize. First, the author pictures the race and then emphasizes citizenship in the heavenly city. In the minds of his readers, these two themes, that is the athletics and the citizenship, will go together. Because no one could take part in the official games unless he was a citizen of a nation. But the dominant theme that runs through this 12th chapter is endurance. The Jewish Christians who received this letter were getting weary and wanting to give up. But the author encouraged them to keep moving forward in their Christian lives like runners on a track. Indeed, the Apostle Paul was very familiar with what I'm talking about, and he was very familiar with what the Hebrews offered is saying to the recipients of this epistle. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, Paul says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me, my throat's a little dry here. I think it's the heat. So in this 12th chapter, thank you. Hold on, just give me one moment, please. So in this 12th chapter, thank you, the author gives three divine resources that encourages Christians to stay in the race even when the issues of life get difficult. And by the way, that is the title of this message, Stay in the Race. The first resource is the example of Jesus Christ, followed by the assurance of the love of God, followed by 
the enablement of God's grace. Now, verses 1 through 4, if you return there, I will read that and then we will get into our message. So the first, um, if you will, the, the first divine resource is the example of Jesus Christ, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. You have not yet resisted the bloodshed striving against sin. When we consider the example of Jesus, we look at those who have finished the race in Jesus. And so we look around at the winners in Christ. Verse 1a says, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, by the author's use of the conjunction, therefore, he connects what he just finished talking about in the 11th chapter to what he is about to say. He says, also, he says, we also are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. What does he mean by a great cloud, and who, and who are the witnesses he's talking about? Great is the adjective that modifies or describes the noun cloud. It is a Greek metaphor meaning an enormous group of people too numerous to count. But for our sake, some of the witnesses he's referring to are those mentioned in chapter 11. The elders, Abel, Enoch, Abel, Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. We have men like Justin Martyr, Polycarp, Dr. King, and your parents and siblings or friends who are in Christ that may not be here anymore, some that are still here walking and being a witness for Christ. They are the witnesses our author is referring to. But do not think that they are actually looking down on us, meaning those who are gone. That's not what the author is saying. He's saying during our lifetime of walking with Christ, or rather their lifetime of walking with Christ, they by faith in Christ and in the promises of God stayed in the race when, when what they felt like doing was turning away and then disappearing, never to see or speak the name of Jesus anymore. A, con a conversation went like this. I rather read the Old Testament except for Psalms and Proverbs. The response was, then you are missing a great deal of spiritual help. Then the gentleman said to the one to whom, with whom he was talking, open your Bible, if you will.
Romans chapter 15, verse 4, sound like a preacher, and read the verse aloud. For whosoever, so whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Patience means endurance, and that comfort means encouragement. One of the best ways for believers to develop endurance and encouragement is to get to know the godly men and women of the Old Testament who ran the race and won. Uh, I love this. If you are having problems with your family, read about Joseph. If you think your job is too big for you, study the life of Moses. And if you are tempted to retaliate, see how David handled his problems. Next, when we look at Jesus Christ as our witness, we take a look at ourselves, not only those who came before us, those who, who, who came before us that are witnesses, but also we take a look at ourselves. First, verse 1, part B. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Athletes used to wear weights to help them prepare for events. No athlete would actually compete wearing the weight because the weight would slow them down. You see, you've seen the baseball player swinging a bat with a heavy metal collar on it before he steps up to the plate. Too much weight would hinder his swing and his endurance. What weights should be, what weights, I ask you? should we remove so that we might win the race, the race that we are running, our earthly race. What race must we remove from our lives? It is everything that hinders our progress. They might even be good things in the eyes of others. A winning athlete does not choose between the good and the bad, He chooses between the better and the best. And I ask you, who are you, what are you choosing between? Is is what you're choosing between good and bad, or is it better and best? Because for the believer, we want the very best that God has for us, and that is Jesus Christ. So we run this race. We stay in this race. Because we know that there is a prize that is exceedingly greater than anything that the earth could possibly give us. More important, much better than the gold medal that we win or the money that we earn is far better than the clothes that we wear. The prize that is sent before us is an eternal prize that does not rust, that cannot be stolen, that cannot be uh, they cannot be eaten by moths, cannot be worn out. It is an everlasting blessing. You and I should also get rid of the sin that so easily ensnares us. Many of us think that by that we can get rid of certain things in our lives that we don't have to worry about it because it's simple for us to just get rid of it. But you just do not understand. It is not that simple. Although the author doesn't give us a list of specific sins, he was probably referring 
to the sin of unbelief. <clears throat> unbelief is the Greek word apistia, apistia, and it means not trusting in or relying on God and Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It was unbelief that kept Israel out of the promised land, and it is unbelief that will keep us from entering into our spiritual inheritance in Christ Jesus. How can we recognize unbelief? I'm glad you asked the question. In the book of Hebrews, the third chapter and the 16th through the 19th verse, the author lists three characteristics of unbelief. Characteristic one is rebellion. When Israel heard that there were giants in the land and and, and the dismal comparison, ten of the twelve spies made between themselves and the inhabitants of the land, that is, we are like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. They shut down. Here's, listen, here's the point. We have to stop looking at ourselves as if we are unimportant. We have to stop looking at ourselves and putting ourselves down, saying that we are nothing, that we will never amount to anything, that we are worthless, that our lives are worthless. God called enough of us to create us and put us in this earth. He loves us. That tells you what your value is. But if you don't believe in God, if you trust in your trust in God, but you look at material things and you look at people who God created as well, material things which God created as well, and you compare yourself based on other people, then you will always not feel good about yourself and you will always look down on yourself or you will walk in pride thinking you're better than somebody else because you have a little bit more than someone else. I don't want you to make that mistake. Don't look don't look at yourself the way that other people look at you. Look at yourself the way God looks at you. God saw you and he said you were beautiful. You are beautiful. He said you are so when he looked at you and after he created you say that's good. Oh man, that's really good. So don't look down on yourself. Don't compare yourself with someone else. Paul says, when we compare ourselves among ourselves, we are not wise. Why? Because we will always see the thing that we are better or that we are worse off than someone else. Don't compare yourself with other people. And don't compare yourself. Uh, don't look at yourself as if you are worthless because you are priceless in the sight of God. So they say we we be like grasshoppers in our own sight and we and so we were in their sight. How do they know that they were like grasshoppers in the sight of the giants of the giants that were called them? They are now projecting what they think the other people think about them on themselves and that heats more pressure on us. That puts more pressure on you. And it does not make sense. And so you walk around in a depressed state, you sit down, and you start evaluating yourself and becoming overly critical of yourself when it's not necessary. Don't think, don't try to assume what other people think about you. Just be who God has created you to be. Love yourself. Respect yourself. Don't be concerned about what other people think, might think about you or say about you. 
they shut down. And that's what happens when we begin to put pressure on ourselves, thinking about what other people might or might not be thinking about us, and then comparing ourselves against other people, then we fall short. Then we begin to feel like we carry the weight of the world on our shoulders, when all we have to do is get rid of that weight by saying, no, that's not how God saw me. That's not how God sees me. God saw enough of me to put me in this earth, because he saw enough of me to say that I am good. When he looked at me and created me and saw said that I was good, it was good that he created me, then who am I to second guess the creator of the world? I want to trust him. I want to trust his word. I don't want to trust the word of somebody else. I'll, I'll, I'll go on and come come up to me Dad, do you think I'm crazy? Do you think I can sing? I said, of course you are. Yes, you can. So we have to encourage. If you want someone to encourage you, go to your father and ask your father to encourage you. Ask your father what he thinks about you. Your heavenly father will tell you that you are beautiful, that you are wonderful, that you are lovely, that he cares about you. And he has great he has great hope for your future because he knows your future. They couldn't hear God's inspired words of encouragement spoken by Joshua and Caleb. Instead, their unbelief caused them to rise up against the servants of God. Here's what the time, here's what the scripture says. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Numbers 14, 10, 8. But God showed up and pronounced a death sentence on those who did not believe. So the first characteristic of unbelief is rebellion. rebellion. The second characteristic of belief is sin. God was angry with them for 40 years, and and all they did was complain about one thing after another. How many of you know some people that no matter how much you do for them, they're still not satisfied. They're always complaining. The more they get, the more they complain. They're never satisfied with just who they are and what they have. They want more. They want more. Captain Crown sings a song about the brother that works hard every day on the weekends and he lays down at night and he can't sleep. And he's trying to build he's trying to build his home. He's trying to build a castle. But he's building that castle on sand. And so uh, and so he says, whoever dies in the most hard win. How do you win when Christ is not your life? How can you win when God is not the head of your life, but money, chasing money, chasing buildings, chasing cars, chasing status, and human status? Chase your presence, chase your status in Christ. Chase Christ, and you will learn who you are and who you are, and you will know that no matter how much you accumulate on this earth, when you die, that's no guarantee that you win. Winners in Jesus Christ, they're not in the possessions of the earth. They're not in the, the, the prestige of the earth. They're in humble submission and obedience and respect to Jesus Christ. That's how we grow. That's why we know who we are. That's where we know. That's where we find our true standing. That's where we find our true standing. Israel continues to sin, and sin is unbelief. Here's the third characteristic of unbelief. It is disobedience. Israel refused to submit to the will of God and 
Again, you'll find this in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 16 through 19, and verse chapter 6, verse chapter 4, verse 6. So the first generation that came out of the land of Egypt, he showed all that God had done to free them physically from their 430 years of Egyptian bondage and what was, and what was, and what he was doing. Then here's the deal. Notice that I said that they that God freed them physically. Spiritually, emotionally, they were still in bondage, in prison in Egypt. Just because someone moves you out of the city, if you are a thug in the city, you can move to the suburbs, you're still going to be a thug. It takes more than just changing location to change who you are. If you are a murderer in the, in the suburbs, in the city, you're going to be a murderer in the suburbs. Where you go doesn't make a difference. What changes is what, what makes the difference is where you are in what, what changes in your heart. Who rules your heart? That's where your true value is. That's where you find out who you are. If you are a liar in the suburbs, you'll be a liar on your job. You'll be a liar overseas. No matter where you go, you are just a liar. You cannot be in the house of God, in the presence of God, as a child of God, and walking around life. You can't change your venue and change who you are. Change is an eternal process that takes place by the Spirit of God living inside of you based on a decision that you have made to invite Jesus Christ into your life, into your heart, as your Savior and your Lord. That's the only way change, true change, real change, occurs. True change takes place on the inside, not, not like Descartes who says, I think, therefore I am. It takes more than Descartes' words. It takes more than I think, therefore I am. No, just because you think doesn't make you who you think you are. Descartes was, <laughs> he, was he had the right intentions, but he missed the mark. It takes more. They're just saying who you are. I can do this like a little red flag, red, little red uh, uh, boots that says, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. <laughs> I think I can. That is a story. That is not life. I pick myself up by my bootstraps. Okay, fine. Just be careful you don't fall. So what would have, so so they never entered the promised land because of none of unbelief. What would have ensured their interest into the promised land? Let me ask you this question. What would have ensured their interest into the promised land? The phrase by faith or through faith is used 21 times in Hebrews chapter 11, indicating that it is faith in Christ Jesus that enables us to endure this race called life with its good and its bad, and faith guarantees. Nothing else on earth can guarantee you eternal life with God and Christ in heaven when it's all said and done. But faith in Christ, faith in Christ alone, guarantees our inheritance in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's good news. The third thing that we see when we look at the example of Christ is not just the witnesses that ran the race, not just taking a look at ourselves, but also taking a look at our Lord, Jesus Christ, 
verses 2 through 4, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For a consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. And then verse 4, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the originator and finisher of our faith. It isn't in looking to him. It is in looking to him that we are saved. For to look means to trust. We must learn to look to Jesus, to trust him in every facet of our lives. Let not one thing that you need be not be entrusted to another person, but entrust everything to Christ. Go to him in prayer. Whatsoever things Jesus said you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and you shall have them. When you look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and not to someone else, what you are doing is you're saying, Lord, I trust you. Whatever decisions you make, I trust you. Whether you give me what I ask you for or not, I still trust you. Whether you give me what I want or not, I still believe in you. Whether you give me what I need or what I ask for or what I want, I still commit my life to you. I must always stay in the hands of Christ. No matter what happens, no matter what winds of storm may come against me, no matter what trials, no matter what disappointments, Whatever comes against me, I must always trust Christ because he knows what's best for me. When the dying Jews looked on the uplifted serpent in the wilderness, they were healed. And this is an illustration of our Savior, of our salvation, rather, through faith in Jesus Christ. John chapter 3, verses 14 and through 16. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Looking unto Jesus describes an attitude of faith that perseveres under the joyous time of our life and intensifies during the most difficult trials of our lives. Faith in Jesus Christ is not and cannot be just a single act. No, 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 no. You have to hold on to your faith in Jesus Christ no matter what you see, no matter what happens. The only other choice you have is to rebel, sin, and disobey, and that, my brothers and sisters, is unbelief and guaranteed eternal life. When you deny and hold on to Jesus, salvation is yours, and salvation by faith in Christ comes by faith in Christ, and that guarantees your eternal life. You can't just walk with him and say, I believe you one moment, and then the next moment you, you doubt him and you walk away from him. No, you can't. That's an, un, 
unstable mind. That's an unstable attitude. You need to stand on Jesus no matter what. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. I have to stand on Christ no matter what. Glory to God. When Jesus, our Lord, was here on earth, he even lived by faith. The mystery of his divine and his human nature is too deep for us to understand fully, but we do know that he had to trust his heavenly Father as he lived each day. The writer of Hebrews quoted our Lord saying, I will put my trust in him, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13. The fact that our Lord prayed is evidence that he lived by faith. Although the heroes endured some horrendous trials by faith, Jesus endured far more. I don't want you to miss this. That makes him the perfect example for us to follow. He endured the cross. This involves shame. This involves suffering. This involves the contradiction of sinners and every temporary separation from and even the temporary separation from the Father while he was on the cross. Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabbathi. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He could not feel the Father. He could not sense the Father. He could not hear the Father. He could not see the Father. He was weighted down with the sins of humanity, and God was not there with him. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ, uh, glory on the cross, suffered for all the sins of all the world. Yet he endured and finished the work the Father gave him to do. John chapter 17, verse 4. Turn there, let me read it for you real quick. John says, so you'll know what I'm talking about here. John chapter 17, verse 4. Jesus is getting ready to leave, and so he prays, and he talks to the Father in that fourth verse, in that 17th chapter. He says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. He did what he was sent here to do. He finished his work. If he had not, you and I would not be standing here today. America would be, we think America is chaos right now. But let me tell you something. If Jesus Christ was not in the lives of millions of people in America, America would be worse off than it is right now because they are praying for America. We are praying for God to move in the hearts and the lives of the men and women in America. We are praying to God to move in the hearts and the lives of the leaders of our nation. That's why we are still here. That's why we are still able to enjoy the freedom, the liberty that God has given unto us. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Through so, so, so the Christian audience to whom uh, this letter was addressed had suffered persecution, they had not yet resisted unto blood. Jesus resisted unto blood. Paul, the apostle Paul, resisted unto blood. Ah, the apostle Peter resisted unto blood. James, the brother of John, resisted unto blood. 
uh, don't, don't tell me that you are resisting under blood. Polycarp resisting under blood. Justin Martyr resisting under blood. Many have resisted under the blood. The 21 young Christians that were executed by ISIL last year, they resisted under the blood. You and I, because of sin, have not resisted under the blood yet. We're still living. We're still walking around. We're not suffering the way they suffered. Jesus Christ suffered on the cross. But before he even got to the cross, they whipped him 30, 40 times, less one, save one was a good catanized hill of attached to which were all forms of metal or, or rock or stone or glass. And every time they hit him with that 39 times that they hit him with that catanized hill, it just cut deeper and deeper into his flesh. Jesus endured. They shoved a crown of thorns on his head. He, resi- he resisted unto blood. That's why he's the perfect example for you and I. That's why Christ is the perfect example for us. There are many that won't believe in Jesus Christ. There are many that are laugh and call and call him all kinds of names and turn their backs on him. But let me tell you something. Jesus Christ is real. And the reason you're able to live and breathe and move right now is because of what he did two thousand years ago on the cross at Calvary. So don't tell me that he is not important. Don't tell me that your struggles are so great. Look at what Jesus went through and then compare your struggles with what Jesus went through. And then you'll find that what you're dealing with is nothing in comparison. Or maybe heavy on you, but he says, cast your care upon me, for I care for you. So cast all your cares upon him. Lord, I am going through financial struggle. I give it to you. Lord, my body is aching in pain. I give you the I give it to you. God, I don't know which way to turn. I don't know what my future holds, but you do. I trust in you. I give my concerns about my future to you. I ask you to guide me, to direct me, to be the lamp unto my feet, the light unto my path. Show me what you want me to do. Tell me where you want me to go, and God, I'll do it. None of them, the Hebrew doctor was telling them, were yet a martyr. And then the Greek word is martus. And, and it simply means witness. So uh, and, and in our day today, and in Georgia Dime of Father Doctrine is just a martyr and others, they were martyred for their faith. They were murdered for their faith. So they are witnesses to the faith of Jesus Christ. But in Jesus' battle against sin, he shed his own blood on Calvary's cross. What was it that enabled Jesus to endure the cross? On earth, our Lord was Emmanuel, God among us, replete with all his divine power, yet he did not use it even to provide for his own personal needs. Now, when we think about Emmanuel, we think about Jesus Christ. We go back to Isaiah chapter 7, I believe verse 14, and it says that you shall name him, his name shall be Emmanuel. And so that means God among us. So when we look at it from a theanthropic uh, point of view, that is the dual nature or double nature or the, or the nature of Christ. Christ was both fearfully human 
and he was fully divine. And then, so, in the hypostatic union, that is the marrying together, if you will, of the divine with humanity. Jesus Christ became God in the flesh. He became Emmanuel, both God and human. So he was fully human, and he was fully divine. And he chose not to exercise his divinity to the point that he could be fully human and suffer and die on the cross for your sins and mine. Because he had to be human. He could not be anything else. And ghosts don't bleed. And ghosts can't be nailed to crosses. Jesus Christ was real. He was a real man. He suffered for your sins and mine. He lived a perfect life. He never did anything wrong to anyone. The reason they didn't like him is because he did not conform to the, to the Jewish standard or to the world standard. And many people won't like Christians today because they won't conform to the standards of other people. The Eiffel don't want you because you won't conform to Islam. The, the, the gangs on the streets won't like you because you won't conform to their ideology. Folks all over the world, people all over the world will reject you because you refuse to conform to their ideology. Don't be afraid. Don't think that you're the only one. If they kill the Lord of glory because he would not conform, what makes you think you're any different? You and I are no different. We're no better than the Lord. If the Lord suffered at the hands of people, guess what? We, too, will suffer at the hands of people. But there's a difference between our suffering because we will suffer in hope, knowing that we have a Savior and a Lord, and we know that when we leave this earth, where we will end up at. But those who don't know, those are the ones that worry the most. You have to know beyond a doubt who you are and whose you are. So our Lord suffered on the earth, but he did not give up. Even Satan tempted him and tried to get him to turn stone into bread. But Jesus refused. It was our Lord's faith that enabled him to endure. He kept his faith filled eyes on the joy that was set before him. Jesus understood that his visit to the grave would only be temporary because he knew the words of Psalm 16 verses 8 through 10, which were written to him, written of him. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. In the 11th verse of this psalm, David speaks of the fullness of joy in the presence of God the Father. In yet another psalm, verses 1 through 4, uh, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Listen, in yet another psalm, our Lord Jesus Christ knew that he would be exalted to heaven in glory 
So the joy that was set before him would include Jesus in completing the Father's will. His resurrection and exaltation and his joy in presenting believers to the Father in glory. Jude, verse 24. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Throughout this letter, my brothers and sisters, the author has placed great emphasis on the importance of future hope. The readers were tempted to look back and wanted to go back, but he encouraged them to follow Christ's example and look ahead by faith. The heroes of faith named in chapter 11 lived for the future, and this enabled them to endure. We have to plan for the future. We can no longer get stuck in the past. Jesus says, whoever puts his hands to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. We don't do that. We have a future ahead of us. We don't need to deal. We don't have to hang in the past anymore. Get rid of the past. That's one of the ways that so, in, so easily ensnares us. Our past, we got to let it go. You know that song in, 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 uh, in, the, in the Disney movie, uh, what was it? Um, I said, let it go, let it go, that song. Let it go, let it go. You have to let it go. Let the past go. You cannot see the future. You cannot realize the future. The future cannot be actualized in your life as long as you hold on to your past. You've got to get rid of some things in order for you to move forward in Christ. Since Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, trusting him releases his power into our lives by the Holy Spirit. And we can strive to follow the example of some great athlete for years and still be a failure. But if in my younger days, for example, that athlete could have been entered into my life and shared his know-how and ability with me, that would have made me a winner. Christ is both the exemplar and the enabler. As we see him in the word and yield to his spirit, he increases our faith and enables us to stay in the race with patience Endurance. I don't know about you, but when you but, but faith is the foundation. It is what we hold on to that allows us to stay in the race. When we know that 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 the end it will just be a continue be the continuation of the or, or the interest into the better and greater thing than what we're dealing here on earth with here on earth, we will stay in the race. We will hold on in spite of the, the pain, in spite of the suffering, in spite of the challenges. That's why I can never condone assisted suicide. That's why I can never condone euthanasia. That's why I can never condone abortion. We have to understand that God created us and he has given us the ability to do certain things. 
But just because we make a mistake or we do something we shouldn't do doesn't mean that God is, will not love us, will not care for us. Listen, every one of us are sinners. And if it were not for the love of God, God said in John chapter, uh, what is it, chapter 3, verse 17, I sent my son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We're already condemned because we're sinners. We're at war with God. Sinners are at war with God. We are in, sinners are enemies of God. Only when you accept Christ do you become a friend. Jesus said, you are my friends. I call you friends. So we are friends, and we are one in Christ, just as Christ is one in God, and so by being one in Christ, we become one in God through Christ. Let me get let me get to the second. Um, I want to get to the second divine source here, if I can, and that is the assurance of the love of God. Verses five through thirteen. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as the son, my son. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and discourages every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Verse 9, furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed the best to them. But he for our prophet, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. I can tell you that. I agree with that but painful, yes, Lord. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which were hung down, hang down as the people need, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Under this section, of scripture, the, the theme is chastening. And in its Greek word, it is the Greek word paiduo, and that's P-A-I-D-E-U, paiduo, and it means to train up a child to educate, to discipline, to instruct, to correct, to punish. A Greek boy was expected to work out in his gymnasium until he reached his maturity. It was a part of his preparation for adult life. The writer views the trials of the Christian life as a spiritual discipline that could help a believer mature. Instead of trying to escape the difficulties of life, we should rather be exercised by him so that we might grow. No pain, in other words, no gain. When we are suffering, it is easy to think that God doesn't love us. 
So the writer gave three proofs that chastening comes from the heart of the Father's love for us. Here's the first one. When we think about the assurance of God's love, the first one we see is the Scripture. The Scripture testifies of the love of God for us. Verses 5 and 6. And you have forgotten the exhortation of the encouragement or warning which speaks to you as to someone, my son. Do not be despised, do not despise, rather, the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens or chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. The quote from this quote is from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. And it is a statement that his readers have known, but they have forgotten. When we fail to stay in God's word daily, we become dull towards the word of God. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 and 12 says, Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. But through his for, for, for those this for those by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the very principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. How can you how can you expect to understand the deeper things of God, the principles of God's word, when you all you're doing is eating the what we call the prima facie or the surface uh, portion of the word. You've got to dig deep. You've got to spend time in the word of God if you want to grow. So this quote in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 6 is an exhortation which literally means encouragement. Because they forgot the word They've lost their encouragement and were ready to give up. You've got to hold on. You can't just read the word one minute and then get up and throw it to the side and come back three years later and pick it up again. You want strength every day of your life. You need the Word of God. It teaches you. It builds you up. It strengthens you. It empowers you. It's like exercise. The more you exercise, you break down your muscles and your muscles reheal and they get stronger and stronger. As you stay in the Word of God, as you pray, as you meditate on the Word of God, as you stay in the Word of God, day and night, you begin to build your, your, the muscles of your faith in Christ that enables you to stand. It enables you to stand and say, okay, well, I can't do anything about that, God. That's on you. I trust you to deal with it. I give it to you. Oh, gosh. You know, this is more than I have, God, but I'm trusting you to provide everything I need according to your word. But if you don't get in the word of God, if you don't stay in the word of God, you won't understand that you can go to God with anything and everything that you have. The main words of this verse are son, children, and son. These words are used six times. They refer to adult sons, not little children. A parent who would repeatedly chasten an infant child would be considered a child abuser today. But God deals with us as adult sons and daughters because 
we have been adopted and given an adult standing in his family. You don't believe you turn to Romans, if you will, chapter 8, verses 14 through 18. And I'm going to try to end it here because we're in noon now. I want to go ahead and leave here because we have other things to do. I know you do. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Ah, and you know, the Greek, the Jews, they say, Holy Father. Ah, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if, if, Indeed, we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. In Galatians chapter 1, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ from all, from all at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, we're under bondage, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might free those who are under the law. Lord, I love this. That he might free those who are under the law. Why? To redeem those who are under the law, that he that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit or the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. The fact that God chastens us proves, is proof that we are maturing and that it is the means by which we can mature even more. God loves us enough to discipline us. A disciplined life is a better life than an undisciplined life. A disciplined life is a life that respects the rights of others. A disciplined life is a, is a, is a life that respects the properties of others. A disciplined life as a man doesn't mean I can do whatever I want to with anyone that I want to. No, as a husband, as a father, as a man, I, 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 as a man, I am committed to my wife and I'm committed to being the best father I can to my children and to my grandchildren. A committed life to Christ, a mature life, understands and respects the rights and privileges that we have and won't abuse those for our own self-gratification or self-aggrandizement. To be to live a mature life in Christ is a, or as an adult is to not walk on somebody else to get what I to get what I want by any means necessary. That's not maturity. That's that's dog eat dog. That's all that is. When we learn, when we are mature in Christ, we begin to see people as God sees people. We begin to love them as God loves them. We begin to respect one another as God respects us.
to live a mature life, a mature Christian life, is to not look down on somebody else, not to talk evil of somebody else, not to laugh at somebody's shortcomings, but to remember that had it not been for the grace of God through the shed blood of Christ on the cross at Calvary, him putting it in our heart to be able to hear the word of God and be moved enough to invite Jesus into our heart to sit on the throne of our heart as our king and as our Lord, we would be in the same position that we were in before we met Christ. So we have nothing to brag about. Our liberty, our freedom, our transformation wasn't because of anything that we have done. It is solely because of what God did through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary. So I cannot afford to look down on somebody and laugh at somebody because they may be, they may be uh, not my idea of, of what a person should look like or because their skin color is different than mine. I cannot live like that. I cannot afford to. I cannot be a respecter of person. When I was teaching evangelism and we were going out on the street, I had to tell my people that we don't look at a person and decide whether they should or should not hear the gospel. I don't care if a person looks like they eat nails or break down walls. God, Jesus Christ, died for us all. And every one of us, every believer in Christ has an obligation. And we have an obligation to proclaim Jesus to everyone that we meet. But we are not to think of ourselves more highly than we are. Because literally, we are nothing separate and apart from Christ. But here is his word. There may be one, and you without the Lord Jesus Christ. God is ready right now to turn your situation around. To the man, to the woman, to the boy, to the girl. The question is, if God were to call you right now, can you honestly say that you're ready to go and be with the Lord. If not, if I were you, I'd make that decision today. Secondly, if you're looking for a church home and the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you to become a part of Jesus Christ's ministry, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to work. This is the place I want to call home on my way to my heavenly home. We welcome you. Thirdly, if you're backslide, you want that joy restored in your life. I'm here to tell you, he will restore the, the joy in your life. There's no if, and, or fuss about it. God will do it, and God will do it now. Fourthly, if you are seeking the fullness of God's Holy Spirit, the Bible says the day that you hear his heart, do not harden your heart. God will give you the desires of your heart. Fifthly, if you are in need of prayer, I invite you now to come to the altar. I would love to pray for you. We would love to pray for you and, 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 and ask God to enter into your heart and to work out the challenges that you are facing. Whatever your prayer needs are, we stand ready to pray with you and for you. Fifthly, sixthly rather, if you are away from your church home, you need someone to pray for you and someone to teach and minister the word of God to you while you are away. Consider joining Jesus Christ Ministries Global Watch Care Program. And then when you have completed your assignment here, you can return home if that's where the Lord sends you to your own church and your senior pastor, and you can help your senior pastor fulfill the vision that God has called him or her to. In any of these areas, 
My brothers and sisters, we welcome you. We welcome you. I hope this message has ministered to you in some way. I have given you encouragement and empowered you and reassured you that no matter what you're going through, Jesus Christ is still with you. God promises never to leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. I will never leave you nor will I forsake you. There are people out there that may mean you harm, but God said he is with you. In fact, in fact, the challenges that you face are not uncommon. And in fact, go to First Corinthians, if you will, chapter 10, verse 13. The challenges that you face are not uncommon. They are indeed common to man. They are common. As long as we live, we will have these challenges. Now he says here, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to men, to man. But God is faithful. Remember that. God is faithful. That he who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will always will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Stand on the word of God. Don't give up. I know that life is hard sometimes, but don't give up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for those who joined us by way of talk to you or I don't know all the other um, social media sites that uh, our visitor pastor uh, plugs us into, but I'm grateful that she's doing it. <coughs> but I pray, God, that you will that you have ministered to those who joined us today. I pray, God, that you will be with them as they prepare to enter into this week. And I ask, oh, Lord God, that you will guide them, protect them, provide all they stand in need of, and bring them back next week at the appointed time that we may again minister unto them the word of God. Now, if you are still with me and you have, you want to give your life to Christ, Let's do that right now. Dear God, repeat after me, dear God, I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. I believe that you sent Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, into the world to die for my sin. Dear Jesus, come into my heart, be my Savior, and be my Lord. I promise you, from this point forward, as you give me strength, I will seek to serve you in every area of my life. And if you're a backslider, but if you have that relationship with God, that somehow fell out of fellowship with you, repeat after me if you want to return to him. Dear God, I am a backslider. I am sorry for walking away. I repent of all of my sins. Please forgive me and receive me back into your kingdom. I promise you, from this point forward, as you give me strength, I will seek to serve you in every area of my life. Now, if you prayed those prayers, then I want to welcome you to the family of God. I want to welcome you back to the family of God. The angels of heaven are rejoicing. They're partying and celebrating at the fact that you, a sinner, return to the God, the God the Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
and they are excited. Now I want you to receive now the Spirit of God in your life. And I want you to begin to read the Word. I'm going to help you to grow in your spiritual walk. I want you to begin to read the Word of God daily. I want you to begin to pray to God daily through Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, I come into your presence. Thirdly, I want you to find the church. Pray and ask God to send you a church, send you to a church that is preaching and teaching His Word that will help you to grow and become stronger in your faith and your walk with Him. The fourth means that will help you to grow is fellowship. Fellowship is meeting with other brothers and sisters in Christ and growing throughout our fellowship, our teachings, and our experiences, and how God, our testimonies, and how God has what God has done for us and how God has brought us through many of the trials and challenges that we have faced in our lives. And then fifth, tell somebody what God has done for you. Be a witness for Christ. Christ gave you life today. He gave you eternal life. You will never perish, and no man will be able to take you from the hand of God. In those five areas, Bible, prayer, worship, fellowship, and witnessing, God will build and strengthen your faith in him and your walk in him. So I thank you for that today. Now let's dismiss. Um, now unto him. No, that's not what I want to do. Father, I thank you now for those who have given their lives to Christ. I ask now that you will minister to them, that you will walk with them, that you will begin to raise them up, in your in
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.